time ago, almost 40 years, as a 30-year-old new convert, I was introduced to all of our speakers that are speaking this year except for one in an incredible supernatural environment called PSR. And I will never forget the very first time that I heard Brother Thank you. You know how it is. <laughs> the first time I heard Brother Floyd Odom in my brand new regenerated state, I said, I am blown away. And I have been a, if I could say this, a fan of Brother Floyd Odom for many, 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 many years. Actually, every one of these bishops that are going to be preaching, I heard them for the first time in my life at PSR and became smitten with the wisdom, the articulation, the truth, and the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Brother Odom, I am Summit Conference is blessed to have you and Sister Odom with us. We're delighted you're with us. Not only that, I have privately and personally made this man one of my bishops. And so, on a personal level, I'm greatly honored that you're here. Would you put your hands together for the man of God? Thank you, Jesus, for allowing this great man of God to be with us. seated for just a few minutes and let me visit with you then I'll have you to stand for a brief reading from the scripture. My wife and I are abundantly honored to be back in Spokane, Washington and it's especially good to be with our pastor and his wife and family and I don't know if anyone has gotten accustomed to referring to Pastor Rick Mayo as bishop but we need to start practicing that. 
because he is a bishop. And I give honor to him and his ministry and to his wife. Thank you, Sister Mayo, for the tremendous leadership in worship and song last night. I thoroughly enjoyed every song. Uh, Brother Mayo, thank you for allowing me to bring my girlfriend with me this time. Uh, yeah, it's good to have my wife with me. And Brother and Sister Mayo, just thank you for being who you are and what you are to the Apostolic Church family. Amen. I give honor to the local church. Uh, I last visited with you over three years ago, uh, but I promise you that you impacted my life by the way that you responded to the preaching about Jesus. And I'm glad to be back with the church family. I want to give honor to the sponsors of this meeting. Uh, you don't snap your fingers and all this just happened. There's a lot of work, a lot of planning, and a lot of people involved. And to the sponsors and to the brethren that assist, Bishop Mayo, thank you for what you're doing for Pentecost, not only in the beautiful Northwest, but across North America and around the world. This is a necessary meeting. Thank you. I give honor to my fellow speakers. Thank you, Brother Bass, for your ministry last night. Challenged me and ministered to me and stirred my heart. I give honor to my longtime friend, Brother Larry Booker. I give honor to Brother Joel Holmes. I give honor to Brother Cody Marks. I want to pick up on something that Brother Bass said last night of being considered an elder. And he said he was 70 years old. Brother Bass, you made me feel mighty old all of a sudden when you acknowledge your age. And so I thought about Brother Booker. I thought about Brother Holmes. And um, I didn't think much about Brother Cody Marks because I knew he wasn't my age. I'm the old man of the bunch. And um, what a privilege for me to be here. You know, I brought an old friend with me today, being at some conference about hearing from old preachers. I brought the Bible that I first preached from and I preached my first sermon from. This is an old friend. And before I call, and please remain standing this time, uh, before I refer to my text, when Brother Bass was asking for some older men to come up and join him on the platform for his concluding remarks, I didn't know that Brother Cody Marks was watching me that close. 
because when I stepped out to walk by my own strength and energy to the platform, he grabbed me by the arm and he said something like, old man, you need some help to get up there? Well, that's what you meant. <laughs> you want me to tell him what I told you? I said, sure, help me up there, but when I get you up there, I'm going to take my belt off and wear you out. I love Brother Marks. What a preacher. Calling your attention to the book of John, chapter 19, and I'll read two brief verses. Father, look at me, please. I pray for your presence to be in this house. It's here, but I don't think we've touched anything what you want to do in this room. These are your people, not my people. Let me speak to them as a gentleman would speak to others. Let me speak to them respectfully and kindly. But help me, Father, to remind them what you did for us long ago on an old rugged cross. I pray that you would save the unsaved in this house. I pray for every cancer victim in the house. I pray for every cardiac victim in the house it's getting a little bit quieter but he can do it all I pray for the afflicted and the infirm hallelujah in Jesus name and the church said amen and I want to make one more statement and I want to address it to brother Holmes years ago I was out with Brother Booker in Southern California and I got to thinking about the conversion of my mother and my daddy in the year 1950 and so I called my sister who lives on the Mississippi Gulf Coast and we began to reminisce about when my father received the baptism of the Holy Ghost and indeed Brother Holmes when I called you that day and asked about your mother my daddy received the Holy Ghost under Brother Holmes' mother's ministry in Biloxi, Mississippi in 1953. Brother Holmes, I'm indebted to your mother for my daddy raised me right. God bless the Holmes family. I'll read two verses, verses 19 and 20 in... John chapter 19. I'm going to be preaching on this subject, the unanswered questions at the trials of Jesus. And there are many unanswered questions. And I'm certainly not an attorney, but in my personal excavations of the scriptures, Jesus did not have a defense attorney. There was not even a public offender available for him. He stood by himself. Now, I don't intend to try to preach this sermon in chronological order, but I'm going to preach the contents of what God has sent me to speak. And if I preach the end first, 
and the middle third and the first last. We'll finish it before I'm done, the Lord willing. So I'm reading the end of the trial. Verse 19, and Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. And the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. This title then read many of the Jews, for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city. And the title was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. You may be seated. It's impossible for me to over accentuate the importance of the last seven days in the life of Jesus Christ. 40% of the four gospel books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, two-fifths of those four gospel books are dedicated to the last seven days of Jesus Christ. He was arrested while praying in his personal prayer room in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was executed on a mountain. He was identified by his betrayer with a sloppy, hypocritical kiss. Those hands that had touched the sick and the diseased and the corpse and either healed or resurrected them all. Those hands were bound and he was led away. Can you imagine? The greatest leader of all time being led away. Some of you may not be aware of this, but Jesus Christ originated in heaven. As a matter of fact, he's the creator of the heavens. He immigrated to earth, but he was also the creator of the earth. While on the earth, he was truly the epitome of the great emancipator. He delivered men from the slavery of sin, and he canceled the slave owners Ownership over all sinners. He's genius of everything. He rose above earthly poverty. He rose above earthly obscurity. Now, unless you know something that I have missed in my diggings and my excavation work in the scriptures, I have not found that Jesus had two pennies to rub together. But he never let financial limitations limit him. The prophet Isaiah spoke seven centuries before this man's ministry. And the prophet gives us an insight of his social standing and he says of Jesus prophetically that he had no 
social recognition because he was rather despised and rejected of men. But he did not allow the lack of social recognition to damage and to control his ministry. Perhaps to add insult to injury, not only was he not socially accepted, but you trust me, the two major theological persuasions of his day, Phariseeism and Sadduceeism, in Jesus they found a common enemy. They detested him. They hated him. And it was from the mind of the presiding high priest Caiaphas that the plot, and I want to be sure that I don't speak too blunt, but I think that we're elevating the crime when we say that Jesus was executed. Indeed he was, but this was cold-blooded murder. It was not an accident of death, it was premeditated. It was not manslaughter. Call it what you will, capital murder, murder in the first degree, and they thought that they got away with it. But him being unacceptable religiously did not limit him. He never hobnobbed with the political crowd of his day. He did pay taxation to Caesar. He referred to Herod as a fox. He warned his followers about the leaven of Herod, but he didn't need political acceptance to have the three greatest years of ministry on the earth. He was smitten, he was speared, but that did not limit him. Jesus was never intimidated. Jesus never grew anxious. Jesus was never apprehensive. Nothing alarmed him. He was never in distress. He never panicked. He was never depressed. And when I get to that little line, me and the devil have a little thing about that. He wants me to move on real quick, but I have chosen to drive a stake in because I think that depression has become epidemic among apostolics. Yeah. Worry, fear, anxiety. I certainly have not come to flex any pulpit muscles. I have none. But I send depression right back to hell where it came from. He has come that you might have life. Woo! He brought me joy. We used to sing, the devil don't like it. Ha, 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 ha. He brought me joy. And the joy of the Lord is my strength. I learned a long time ago that I should never make 
range comments because it fits the emotions of the moment. But I'm going to make a statement by faith. I believe we're going to get a revival in this house today over anxiety, over fear, over worry, over panic. And over depression. I sure need your help when I preach. But in total honesty right now, I know that I'm resting in the arms of Jesus in this sermon. So I don't mean to say things to generate high-pitched emotions. I fear that Pentecost is becoming a movement of energy, and we need that. But we need more than energy. We need the Holy Ghost in our services. So I'm going to let, let you make your own decision. Are you living subpar in the joy of the Lord? Well, when's the last time you tried shouting about seven hallelujahs? Or when's the last time you put those hands over your head and you clapped your hands unto the Lord? Whoop. Let it go. Push back. Depression cannot stay in this house. Woo. The indignities that this man suffered is almost beyond my pulpit ability to articulate. Some of it is shameful. They stripped him of his modest garments, and there he stands before heaven and earth and all gawkers. Stripping him was not enough. They smote him. They striped him, thick sputum being flung from the cursing mouths of Roman soldiers anointed his body. They spiked him. His wardrobe was gorgeous. His scepter was a wilted reed. His crown was thorns. His jurors was a bloodthirsty lynching mobs. I recognize the challenge in front of me today as I address a grand apostolic audience. But Brother Booker, you and I travel this country numerous times in the course of a year. And I have unfortunately begun to come to a stirring conclusion that my generation of Pentecost would rather have self-help sermons, exciting sermons, because we no longer have a stomach for what happened on Calvary. 32 years ago, my wife and I kissed a little 20-year-old daughter goodbye, 
And when the Lord began to heal me, I had a covenant with him. And I pledged to him some 32 years ago that as long as he would give me energy and breath, I would never let my generation of Pentecost forget about a place called Calvary. You and I are here today not because we're good people. We're here today because of a good God. You and I are not here today because we're deserving. Oh, God, help us rip away our pride. Strip away our arrogance. Let us find humility in the presence of God. The Apostle Paul was my professor. He taught me that the preaching of the cross would have generally one. You want to stand a while, Brother Tim? Stand right there then. The Apostle Paul was my professor and he's advised me that the preaching of the cross will have one or two effects on most people. To the pro-Jews, my sermon may be a stumbling block. But to the pro-Grecians, my sermon might be foolish. Brother Jeff Hofer, you're here. I need you right now. Throw this all around the world. The preaching of the cross might be a stumbling block and it might be foolishness, but for we that believe, it is the power of God unto salvation. seated. It seems to me that when the scene of the death of Jesus was unfolding, it almost took on a carnival atmosphere. Why, they were gambling for his garments. They were playing the guessing game with him, smacking his face with the open palm of their hand. Tell us who slapped you. It was just a carnival attraction. Rolling dice, if you please, for his garment. Tell us who smote you. Finally, it was epitomized when the chief priests and the elders and the scribes paid their respects and they filed by the cross where Jesus was stapled. And they flung into his teeth if thou be the king of Israel, come down off of that cross and we will believe you. How much manners do I have to have here today? Really? There were a bunch of liars. Turning water into wine didn't convince them. Turning blindness to sight didn't convince them. Turning death to life didn't convince them. Turning a storm to a peace didn't convince them. But I want you to know, had he wanted to, he could have come off of that cross. 
but he saw Spokane, Washington. He saw some elders. He saw a new generation of preachers. Had he come off of the cross, all of his teachings would have been in vain. Had he come off of the cross, all of his preaching would have been in vain. Had he come off of the cross, all of his miracles would have been in vain. Had he come off of the cross, all the prophets and the prophecies of the old covenant would have been in vain. Had he come off of the cross, the story of the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection would have been a non-effect. If he would have called angels and they would have pulled out the nails, all the world would have been condemned to hell. Had he come off of the cross, we would have no hope. We would have no grand expectations. We would have no heavenly anticipations. We would have no hope of eternal life. Had he come off of the cross, our sins would not have been forgiven. Had he come off of the cross, there would be no repentance. Had he come off of the cross, there would have been no water baptism in Jesus' name. Had he come off of the cross, there had been no infilling of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Oh, God Almighty, I'm glad that you stayed on that cross. Look at me now, devil. I'm going to try this. Just don't let him run by himself. Two are better than one. Now, when you run, go back to your chair. Okay, runners, that's it. Had he come off of the cross, there would be no apostolic church. Had he come off of the cross, there'd be no body of Christ. Had it come off of the cross, there would be no bride of Christ. Had it come off of the cross, there would be no sanctification. Had it come off of the cross, there would have been no justification. Had it come off of the cross, there would be no regeneration. Had it come off of the cross, there would be no salvation. Had it come off of the cross, there would be no resurrection of the dead had he come off of the cross there would be no catching away of we which are alive and remain had he come off of the cross there would be no golden city had he come off of the cross there would be no gates of pearl had he come off of the cross there'd be no walls of jasper had he come off of the cross there'd be no eternal life Everybody in the house ought to throw your hands up and shout, thank God for the cross.
Please be seated. The plaintiffs in this trial were many. The retired high priest, Anas, 70 years old, but he was a power broker for all of the Sadducees especially. Plaintiff number two was Caiaphas, the current and the presiding high priest. The plaintiffs included a vast majority of the Sanhedrin court, uh, not quite 70. I know Joseph of Arimathea was a um, disagreeing vote to what they did to Jesus. But 69, uh, it appears to me, was all in for this Galilean to be murdered. Among the plantists were conservative theological Pharisees. Among the plantists were liberal theological Sadducees. Among the plantists were experts on the law of Moses and the Talmud, the scribes and the lawyers. And standing before this crowd is one single solitary figure, a 33-year-old evangelist from up in northern Judea in a rural community called Galilee. The judges that sat on the bench and presided over the case were Pontius Pilate and Herod got in the act temporarily. But Herod kind of reminds me of some areas that I preach in some Pentecostal churches that if Jesus can't entertain me, I don't want nothing to do with him. I didn't expect much to get with me on that, but I want all of you to know the church is not theatrics. The church is not dramatics. The church is not Hollywood. The church is not Broadway. The church is not Nashville. The church is the power of God in the earth. And we're not in the church because Jesus entertains us. Obviously, Pilate was the most prominent and influential judge in comparing he and Herod and that defendant stood alone. No one to take the stand for him no one to call for a point of order in the proceedings. And we find out in Isaiah that he was dumb like a lamb, uttering not a word, however, and don't go counting, I've already counted it and I'm right. In the book of John, Jesus indeed said 117 words to Pilate. But when the main show began, when they begin to flog him, slap him, smite him, he never winched. He didn't give them the sadistic pleasure that we're hurting him. He took it like a lamb. He never gave them the privilege of knowing that that hurt. 
So with your permission, and I know I've got the Holy Ghost permission, I've been sent to this conference today. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to get some answers for some unanswered questions at the trial of Jesus. I take the stand as his public defender. I'm sure you have as I have over my years. I wonder where the bum from Jericho was at. You know, Bartimaeus. I wonder where the blind boy was that Jesus healed at the pool of Siloam. I wonder where the paralytic was that Jesus healed at the pool of Bethesda. I wonder where the woman was that was forgiven for sexual improprieties in the temple church grounds. I'm also wondering where some modern-day Pentecostals are. Perhaps this will be my last conference, but I'm going to go down swinging this time. I'm also wondering where some Pentecostal preachers are. It's time to earnestly contend for the faith. Feel it. Feel it. Don't leave me because I might need a shouting partner in a few minutes. If I get between you and Tim Haddon, I'm in trouble. Be seated. Bishop Booker, the trial is over. Pilate, Pontius Pilate. Pilate was in way over his head judiciously. Pilate was in way over his head militarily. Uh, Pilate never deserved the appointment to be the prefect of Rome in Judea, the governor of Rome. But while there, he became the legal voice of Caesar, Tiberius. But he had no clue how to handle this one. And I find in history about Pilate, the only way that he ascended the so-called promotional ladder of success, he had friends in high places. And I'm all for friends in high places, preacher. But sometimes in life, we got to get on our face before God and go to the man called Christ Jesus. Pilate ascended the ladder of success because he had an influential man that was the creator of the Praetorium Guard that guarded Caesar and the senators of Rome. He became almost a carbon copy of Tiberius. His name was Sejanus, powerful, second only to Caesar. And because Pilate had a friend in high places, oh God, this ain't in my notes. And I said, this ain't in my notes, but I just felt to say it. Ladies and gentlemen, I have a friend in high places. Trial is over. 
Pilate had never judged a defendant like this one. For Pilate would say, don't you see the mob and hear the accusations? And you have no defense? And Jesus never honored the question of Pilate with a response. Pilate wrote a title. And he wrote it in Hebrew and in Greek and in Latin. I have made the decision in this sermon to reverse the order. First of all, he wrote it in Latin. Jesus Nazarivas Rex Arophram. Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. He wrote it in Greek. Basilius Ton Arudin. Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. And he wrote it in Hebrew. Jesus Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Now, this is not just an accidental printout from Pilate. He wanted Rome to know who this man was. He wanted the Grecians to know who this man was. He wanted the Hebrews to know who this man was. I'll try it again. Jesus Nevrinas Rex Arophram, Latin. Basilius Arudan, Greek. Yeshua Adnazaria, Melech Hahurim. He wanted them to know. All right, Latin, you're first. Pilate wanted Rome to know that this man is greater than your mythical god, Jupiter, Juno, Mars, Mercury, Neptune, Venus, Apollos, Diana, Minerva, Ceres, Vulcan, and Vesta. I got him, I got him, Rome. Grecians. And so he wrote to the Grecians, Basilius Lanarudan. And the reason that he wrote it in Greek is because he wanted the University of Aristotle, the University of Socrates, the University of Plato, the University of Zeno, the University of Epirus, he wanted all of the philosophers to know, I found real peace when I found this one. You're, 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 you're inching up on me a little bit at a time. So just let's, let's just kind of just break all the pomp and circumstance. Just come stand by me a couple of minutes. You feel the Holy Ghost, son? You're being seated. This is not planned, so I'm not sure where this is going. But I'm pretty sure it's going to have a good ending. 
And the third language that he wrote was in Hebrew. He wanted that bunch of Pharisees and Sadducees and high priests and scribes and doctors and lawyers to know. Here he is. Here's your Elohim. Here he is. Here's your El Shaddai. Here he is, your self-existent Jehovah. Here he is, the all-sufficient Jehovah. Here he is, your eternal, everlasting Jehovah. I do not, I do not deliberately have a bad-mannered bone in me when I'm in Jesus' desk. But it just dawned on me, I left out a language that I wish that I would have put in this little piece of notes of mine. I want to write one more for Pilate. I want to write this in the language of Trinitarianism. I want you to know, Trinitarian, here he is. The creator. The first, the last. The Alpha, the Omega. The everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. I would write it so that all Trinitarians would know, for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. For it's in him that we live, it's him that we move, it's in him that we have our being. Uh, Brother Mayo, just because he's helping me preach, he don't get a part of my offering. <laughs> if I get an offering. Please be seated. Clap your hands, Brother Haddon. You want to come up here? Come sit by you, buddy. Huh? I'll be good. If I, you see me stumble, I'm not. I'll hold you. I'm heaven in the year, but I'm going to hold you. So now we go back to the beginning of the trial. It had been a long night. He had celebrated the last official Passover that Jehovah God would recognize after 1,480 of those because here was the ultimate Passover lamb. And he introduced to them, take and eat this. This is my body that was broken for you. And he introduced his blood and said, take ye and drink ye all of it. This is the New Testament in my blood that was shed for many. 
they sung a hymn. Sister Haddon, thank you for that song that led me into preaching today. And uh, it's okay if they know this. I don't have many secrets. I want the singers to be ready. We're going to close with that song today. That moved me. So now the cross-examination begins. The interrogations are underway. The first question that the prefect of Rome, Pilate, asked were actually to the plaintiffs. What accusation do you bring against this man? You talking about a non-answer? They gave a non-answer and it flew right over the head of the prefect of Rome. Savvy Caiaphas and savvy Annas and the scribes and the priests. They only answer by saying, well, if he were not a malefactor, we would not have delivered him unto you. And then the questions began. Number one to Jesus. Art thou the king of the Jews? Question number two. What hast thou done? Now I want to give you a little Bible study real quick of the four evangelists. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four of them penned the words about the accusation of him being a king. Matthew added a little bit more. Mark did too. But John seems to give us much more of the judicial procedures that were unfolding. For the second time in John, Pilate asked, Art thou a king then? Number four to Jesus. What is truth? And number five, we find in John 19 and 9, whence art thou? Now, Brother Bass and I are on the same page about the years of the ministry of Jesus. Some will teach you that his ministry was three years, others three and a half years. But just for the simplicity of hoping that all will grasp this. I want to just to round it off that his ministry lasted three years. The fact is, we don't have a copy <laughs> of his birth certificate. So we can't really prove exactly how old he was. And the reason we don't have a copy of his birth certificate because he predates birth certificates. I can tell that made me feel better than what it made you feel. He's before all things. And by him all things consist. He's the creator of life. The ancient Jewish calendar was, and it would vary, but it was usually 355 days in a year. Some years according to the lunar alignment, it could be 353, it could be 357, 358, and yea, even more. So we'll round it off again that it was an average of 355 days in a Jewish calendar year. This we know, that on day number 11,748, because he lived, 11,755, <laughs> on day... 11,748, Brother Bass, you preached it the best. I'm just going to try to pick up a little bit. Here comes the king 
riding triumphantly on the fall of an ass. This is setting in motion the most crucial seven days in the history of all mankind. I think we're breaking into a generation of Pentecostals that some are thinking that we're too dead and some are thinking that we're too lively. I don't know who coined the phrase that he rode triumphantly into Jerusalem, but I wish I could give that gentleman one quick little word here. Everywhere he went, it was triumphant. Everything he did, it was triumphant. Every word that he said was triumphant. However, it was an outdoor service when Jesus was riding to Jerusalem on the colt on day 11,748, had seven days left. And people really, really, really got out of sorts and they began to trim off palm trees and other trees and they threw palm branches and other leaves and limbs down. And some really got out of sorts to the point it's almost embarrassing for some Pentecostals. They even jerked their coats off and got to shouting and dancing and cutting up. Yeah, I felt that go over. You get ready for it, folks. Jesus is about to do a work in these last days. We about to have some church. Yeah, yeah, he's going to do a quick work in the last day. We about to have some church. We learn from the words of Jesus in response to a question, Brother Bass, when they urged him to tell these to hold their peace. And indeed, Jesus said, if they do, then the rocks will cry out to me. Now be seated. I'm going to give you a historical lesson from ancient Hebrew worship that has its foundation from the sweet psalmist of Israel, David. From the cradle, parents would teach their children to Gadal, to Gil, to Hadar, to Hava, to Hul, to Meha, to Nagan, to Nesa to Pazaz, to Silel, to Patza, to Renina. And in these Hebrew terms, they were taught from children to magnify the Lord. They were taught from children to circle about. They were taught from children to rejoice. They were taught from children to kneel and to bow. They were taught from children to dance and to clap their hands. They were taught from children to make a joyful noise unto the Lord on the high-sounding cymbals. They were taught from children to lift their voices with a shout. They were taught by children to leap. They were taught to exalt in song. They were taught to burst forth. They were taught to dance about.
That's the way you keep them in church. That's the way you build an apostolic church. Put it in them. There's but one God. Put it in them. There's but one plan of salvation. It might do some of you old folks some good to clap your hands, to leap for joy, to dance about. Sister Mayo, don't worry. He's in good hands up here. I'm telling you, folks, I'm going to prophesy. There's going to be a revival of Holy Ghost joy. Yeah. The king is coming. The king is coming. We're going to shout while he comes. The king is coming. We're going to dance while he comes. The king is coming. As I have already taught you, all four evangelists was involved in what seemed to be, according to the plaintiffs, <laughs> the most incriminating question, are you a king? I feel like I can uh, preach longer if you'll sit down. However, if you stand, I'm not going to shorten it for you. You feel the Holy Ghost? You really feel the Holy Ghost? Well, you're smiling like it. Why don't you stand up, son, and clap those hands unto the Lord? Woo! It'll put a clap in your hands. It'll put a pat in your foot. 
It'll put a leap in your leg. The first unanswered question in the trial, are you a king? Then he fulfills Isaiah, silence. Not a word, but because I am kind of his self-proclaimed public defender, I want to reveal some things about this answer. Art thou the king? So he's let the old southern preacher come all the way out to, to Washington and fill you in on something. Uh, are you a king? Psalms 24 and 8, he's the mighty king. Psalms 24 and 10, he's the king of glory. Psalms 29 and 19, he's the king forever. Psalms 99 and 4, he's the king of Zion. Isaiah 33 and 17, he's the king of beauty. Jeremiah 10 and 10, he's the king everlasting. Daniel 4 and 7, he's the king of heaven. He's the king of the earth. He's the king of Israel. He's the king eternal. He's the king of peace. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of saints. He's the king of nations. You know, it dawned on me in my prayers early this morning, and I'm not dropping my prayer baggage here. The Lord got a hold of me, and I wrote some things I never said in a sermon in my life, and I, you're going to be the first to hear it. And it's good. When he rode triumphantly into Jerusalem, he rode on the fall of an ass. But I read in the book of Revelation that when he comes back, he's changing models. He's coming back in an upgrade. He's coming back on a white horse. And that's on his thigh. Am I the king? Yeah, I'm the king of kings. And I'm the Lord of lords. So the next question that his public defender, me, needs to be sure that the record is straight. The second question that came from the prefect of Rome, boy, I tell you, if Pilate was the best lawyer they could get, buddy, they're in trouble. What a trial. But the next question was this, what have you done? I understand the question. Why are you here? What, what's going on? And again, Jesus fulfills Isaiah 53. And he was dumb like a lamb before the shearers. So guess what? I'm going to speak for him. And buddy, am I ever going to speak for him? 
So I want to set the record straight. What has he done? He turned water to wine. He cooled a hot fever. He fed 5,000. To prove that was no fluke, he fed 4,000 more. He healed one leper. But to prove that was no fluke, he healed 10 more. He walked on the sea. But to prove that was no fluke, he rebuked the tempestuous storm. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus Christ never does things coincidentally. He never does anything accidentally. For if my people which are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and call, I'll do it if they'll do it. You know, you know, I was thinking about, and I'm calling you out again, Brother Bass. Um, I was thinking about your sermon last night and uh, Jesus riding triumphantly into Jerusalem and things kind of got out of sorts and it ended up with a different church service that day at the temple. It was really different. But Jesus was not necessarily responding to the palm branches or to the other tree branches. He was not necessarily responding to the coats and the cloaks that made the boulevard upon which his little foal of the ass walked. But I'm telling you, this had never happened before in the history of all Hebrewism and Israel. Never had there been such a collection of people jumping and a leaping and a clapping and a singing and all of a sudden somebody created the word that was only used in this setting and that word was huh I can't hear you I can't hear you I can't hear you go 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 Hosanna when worshipers forget their pride Jesus is going to pay a visit to the church. When worshipers will identify him as the king, as the king, he's going to visit the church. So, inasmuch as there was no one to defend this defendant by himself, theologians were against him. Theology of the day was against him. Had I been there, so help me. I think I would have forced the judge to let me ask him one question. I know, are you a king? We got it, Pilate. What have you done? We got it, Pilate. But I declare the way I feel right now, I think I'd have demanded the bench to let me ask him one question. Yeah. And my question would be this. What are you going to do? What can we expect out of you? Well, okay, Pilate, let me tell you what I'm going to do. You can execute me today and bury me in a bar tomb, but watch your clock. 
Come Sunday morning, I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to get up out of that ground. What am I going to do? In about 50 days when the day of Pentecost is fully come, I'm going to fill that house with the sound of a rushing mighty wind. What are you going to do? I'm going to build a church and the gates of hell don't stand a chance. It's going to be a glorious church. It's going to be a spotless church. It's going to be a wrinkleless church. It's going to be a church without blemish. Turn your preaching up and preach my notes. Yeah, go. It is an apostolic church in doctrine named after my guys. It is a beautiful church in appearance. It is a Christ-like church in spirit. It is a dynamic church in power. It is an energized church in strength. It is a faithful church in dedication. It is a glorious church in perfection. It is a helping church in mission. It is a heavenly church in splendor. It is a holy church in sinlessness. It is a lawful, joyful church in praise. It is a justified church. It is a live and living church. It is a lovely church. It is a merciful church. It is a miracle church. It is an obedient church. It is a perfect church. It is a precious church. It is a praising church. It is a praying church. It is a prevailing church. It is a pure church. It is a redeemed church. It is a righteous church. It is a revival church. It is a sanctified church. It is a separate church, a sinless church, a spotless church church, a spiritual church. It is a triumphant church and it is a victorious church. Ladies and gentlemen, the reason I'm in this church, I don't want to be lost. We are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, but Christ is our cornerstone. Allow me to answer the unanswered questions at the trial of Jesus. 
frankly, the way I feel right now, you can stand up, you can lay down, you can sit down, you can walk the back of the chairs. I just don't really care. The final question, well, the next to last question is, what is truth? I've got to answer that. What is truth? You're looking at him, Pilate. Let God be true. Hey, you want some truth preaching here? You want some truth preaching here? Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. You want some truth? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. Brother Booker, I found it very interesting this morning what you said as we were being brought over to the church. You used this word, whence. I said, don't tell me he said that word. Because I got it right here. Whence. In the book of John, chapter 19 and verse 9, the last question from Pilate that was unanswered, and his public defender gets to answer it. Whence art thou? Now, if you do a word study on the word whence, it is seldom used in our everyday language, but it's one of the true romantic words in our language. And the word whence can have at least four different definitive connotations. Whence art thou? Where did you come from? Whence art thou? How did you get here? Whence art thou? What is the premise of you coming here? Whence art thou? What are you going to do before it's over with? Whence art thou? He didn't answer it, but I'm going to answer it for him. Pilate, I am Deuteronomy 6 and 4. Pilate, I am Isaiah 43 and 10. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be one after me. Pilate, I am Isaiah 44 and 6. I am the first and I am the last. And beside me... I don't know what happens to me when I, as old as I am, I get this feeling when I preach and feel the presence of my best friend Jesus, I feel like singing. So it says the mighty God is Jesus. The Prince of Peace is He. The Everlasting Father. The King eternally, by wisdom and perfection. You want to come sing with me? By righteousness and power, 
Yeah. You know, I preach it like this. I teach that that's the devil's favorite song because he's a one God devil. He believes in one God and he trembles. The mighty God is Jesus. Whence art thou? I am Isaiah 45 and 5. I am the Lord and there is none else. I am Isaiah 45 and 18. I am the Lord and besides me there is no Lord. I am Isaiah 45 and 21. I am John 1 and 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. I am John 1 and 14. And the Word was place and dwelt among us. I am the form of God. I am the image of God. I am the manifestation of God. I'm the person of God. Hands up all around the building. I see. 